Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. So, uh, welcome to all of you from my side as well. My name is Eni Swart. Um, and uh, I want to share from God's word. And we're going to start a new series today. We're going to start on, uh, we want to preach through a, a book of the Bible. So, we're going to go through the book of Colossians. And um, I'm really excited about this. I really think this is a a book that has so much to say to us and um, that is so relevant to us. And um, I'm really looking forward to going to working through this. And I want to encourage you in your in your own, you know, study of the word as well. Uh, I want to encourage you to to read through uh, Colossians a couple of times and um, just uh, start seeing what the Lord what the Lord says to you. so, yeah, the, the book of Colossians is, a, is an interesting book. It's, it's one of Paul's shorter letters. And it's, it's a letter that he wrote to a church he hasn't met. He's never actually physically been to that church. We'll, we'll see that later on. Um, and, and so the things that Paul, I mean, I think there are two letters of Paul that he writes to churches that he actually hasn't planted himself or even visited himself. And those are the letters to the Romans the letter of Romans and, and the letter of Colossians. And, and we're also a church that Paul hasn't physically visited. <laughs> so so I, I think it's, um, you know, just, just like, you know, if the Colossians, even though they hadn't seen Paul face to face, could receive what Paul was saying in this letter, then we, as the church in Joburg, can also receive what Paul is saying in this letter, even if we haven't seen him face to face, and if he hasn't seen our, us um, face to face. Then... Just another thing, um, as we go through the letter, what, what I want you to get is not just a message, but also a method. Okay? I, I don't just want you to hear what Paul is saying in Colossians. I want you to, I, I want us to together, as we study this letter, to discover how to read Colossians for ourselves. So I want you to not just receive a message, but also a method. Um, so... You know, part of, of what we learn in church is, is not just what the Bible says, but how to discover for ourselves what the Bible says. We, we believe that every single Christian has the right and the responsibility to read God's Word for themselves and interpret God's Word for themselves and understand God's Word for themselves and apply God's Word for themselves. So, so I want to encourage you to, to not just listen to the message, but to to receive the method as well. And, and set yourself a goal as we study this, this letter of Paul together that you want to learn how to study the Bible better. And you want to grow in your confidence in studying God's Word for yourself. Okay, so um, uh, you can just bring up that, those first pictures. Um, you know, Colossians, as we're going to see in a moment, um, is all about... Um, applying the gospel in every area of life and that's what we as christians have to have to learn to do as well i'm going to focus this morning only on the first two verses on paul's greeting uh, but i'm going to read the first eight just for for context it says in colossians 1 verse from verse 1 to 8 i'm reading from the english standard version it says paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God the Father. We always thank God, 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a, minister, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to you and sorry, has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for, for your word in Colossians. And, and we pray, Lord God, that, that you'll help us to, to receive all the riches of your word, Lord God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here in our midst and that you are the ultimate teacher and that you are the one who leads us into all truth. And we just open up our hearts to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, we... Um, Colossians is all about, uh, we're gonna, as we're going to see in the coming weeks and months, uh, all about applying the gospel in all of life. Um, you know, living the gospel in every area of life. Um, Paul starts off and he says, and he, and he says you know, in letters of, of those times, in our letters, we sort of you write your name at the bottom and you sign your signature at the bottom of the letter. But, but in, in those days, often letters were a bit longer. You know, so, you know, you, you don't want the person to wait until they get to the end of the scroll before they, you know, and have to, like, roll the scroll all the way to the end before they see who's writing the letter. So in, in those days, you wrote your name right at the beginning, and it actually makes sense. You know, you, you, you want to know who's writing to you, who's speaking to you in a letter to, to properly understand it. So Paul starts off, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, the bro- uh, our, um, this is a, my own more literal translation, so... Um, I, I, I just made a few tweaks just to, to show you what literally stands in the Greek. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, the brother. And then he says to the, literally, in, it's, it's sort of in, I put it in brackets because he, he, he lumps everything together. He says to the following, those who are in Colossae, holy and faithful brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Um, and what even in the, just in the greeting, there's, there's, there's so much there. And, and the problem is when we read the Bible, we don't always get everything out of the Bible that God put in the Bible, often because we scheme over things. I mean, what can there be in a greeting? You know, what, what can God say to me? How can God encourage me? How can God instruct me just through a greeting, you know? And, and we just sort of scan over it. Let, let's get to the good stuff, you know? But so often, and, and this is one of the, the tips I want to give you, in terms of, remember I said message, not just message, but also method. When you read scripture, and especially when you read, um, you know, uh, really rich portions of scripture that, um, that are really intense, like Paul's letters, slow down. Slow down as you read. We, 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 so, we, we want to do everything so fast, and, and often we want to read the Bible fast. You, you, you must pray and fast, but sometimes we want to pray fast, you know. <laughs> and 
we need to slow down and, and, and allow God to, to give us everything that's, that's there. And, and, and sometimes, so, so one tip I want to give you is read the Bible out loud. Even when you're just doing your personal Bible study, read the Bible out loud so it slows you down and so that you don't only receive it through your eyes, but that you also receive it through your ears. Okay? And then read it multiple times. Don't just read it once. So, what, you know, if, if I had to sort of paraphrase um, this, you know, what, what Paul is saying there is he's saying this letter is from the apostolic messages who have experienced the gospel to the believers in Colossae who have experienced the gospel. May you continue to experience the gospel. <laughs> So even in his greeting, you, when you, if you read it carefully and you, you understand the gospel, and you know the gospel, you, you can see it's all about the gospel for Paul. So, so let's just, let's just um, look at Paul and, and how he experienced the gospel. So it, uh, in, in Acts 22, from verse 3 to 5, Paul says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, and this city is Jerusalem. Uh, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So Paul says, I was born in Tarsus, which is in the part of the Roman Empire, but outside of Israel. Um, and, and we know he's a Roman citizen. Um, but then he says, but I was raised in this city in Jerusalem. So at some stage during his youth, he was sent by his parents to Jerusalem, and he was raised there and educated there. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the most prominent, even amongst you know, Christian, uh, Jews who don't accept the New Testament. You know, they'll acknowledge Gamaliel as one of the great rabbis of, of that time. Um, so he was educated by, by one of the greatest rabbis of that time, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. He was a Pharisee. He was, he was raised as a, as a, as a, according to the sect of the Pharisees, which was very, um, a very strict form of, of Judaism. And he says, and I, I was very zealous for God, as you are this day. In fact, Paul was so zealous that anyone who, who was, who according to Paul, compromised in any way, he, he like really took them on, you know, and, and um, he, he persecuted the church as, as, a, as a consequence of that. It says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters, from the, the Sanhedrin, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those um, also, um, who were there to bring them and, uh, in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. In other words, he, he was saying, I, I saw this way, this Christian sect, as a, as a serious compromise and false teaching. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm so zealous. I don't stand around when things go wrong. I do something about it. So I, I threw guys in prison. I had guys killed. He was around, for instance, when, when Stephen was was stoned to death because of his testimony. So Paul was like a serious guy. He was, he's an all-or-nothing guy. He's a serious all-or-nothing guy. Very zealous. Uh, but then when, when he writes in Philippians, he writes the following, Philippians 3, verse 4 to 7, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You know, as he, he says, here's my pedigree. If anyone wants to brag and, and present their spiritual CV, here's mine. And I think mine matches anyone else's. If, if you want to talk about righteousness according to the flesh and confidence in, in the flesh, in other words, in, in your own ability, hardly anyone, if anyone, performed better than me. You know, the, the best life you could live in your own strength. I lived it. You know, I, I had the right pedigree. I was circumcised on that eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, one of the few tribes that survived. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the northern tribes were lost, but, but Benjamin actually came back with the southern tribes with Judah. Uh, so it was just Judah, Benjamin, and, and Levi, or, or some of them who, who came back. A Hebrew of Hebrews, um, you know, a Pharisee. I, you know, I take God's word seriously, so seriously that I persecute those who don't. Okay. But then he says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Something happened. Something happened. The things that Paul had confidence in before, he says, now all of that I count loss for the sake of Christ. So what was it that happened? So if we, if we read on in Acts chapter 22, we, we find out from verse 6, he says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. Now, you need to picture this. I, I, I don't know how they wonder they're going to make a movie of this. You know that in the Middle East, it's, it's pretty desert countries, it's hot. The, the sun is, is like serious in, in that part of the world, like, like in, in many parts in South Africa. In noonday, the sun is at its brightest. Now, how bright... Now, when, when, you, when you take out a torch and, and the sun is shining brightly and you, you light the torch, you hardly see the torch, right? So how bright must the light be to be a great light at noonday? <laughs> okay, so this is the light shining around, around Paul. And he says, I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? So this is before he was even Paul. He was called Saul. You know what? Uh, we, we got the name Saul. There was a certain other person in the Old Testament who was also from the tribe of Benjamin who happened to be the first king of Israel. What was his name? Saul. King Saul. Okay? And the word Saul literally means great. You know what the word Paul means? Little. <laughs> so part of what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus when he met Jesus was he went from, and it took a, a while for his name to change from Saul to Paul, but he went from great and seeing himself as great and having great confidence in himself and in his flesh to being Paul, to seeing himself as little. And not having confidence in the flesh, but only having confidence in Christ. But he hears this voice. Now he's persecuting the church. Okay, he knows who, he, who he's persecuting. And he, and he thinks he's right to persecute them. Now, he's persecuting them, and, and then he gets knocked off his high horse on the way to Damascus. And he's lying there on the ground, blinded by this bright light. And he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, not why are you persecuting my people, but why are you persecuting me? 
Okay? And, and he doesn't know who's speaking to him, but he, but he knows enough to say, if this voice is coming from heaven, then I need to respect this voice. I need to call, I need to refer to them as kurios. But he says, I don't know who I'm speaking to, but who are you, Lord? <laughs> Whoever you are, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're, you're Lord, but I, I don't know who you are. Okay? The, just by the way, this wasn't Paul's conversion. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, but he gets saved when he gets baptized. But that's another sermon. But he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And then he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, I don't know if there are cuss words and swear words in Hebrew, but I'm sure in his mind, Paul, if he knew any cuss words, he, he probably thought, Oh, peep, you know. <laughs> if I probably thought, oh, no. <laughs> I thought I was on the right side. I thought I was persecuting the evildoers and so on. And now their boss is speaking to me from heaven. <laughs> I, it seems I missed it terribly. And then he goes on and says, now, now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Now I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the, the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those um, who were with me and came into Damascus. You see, um, Paul was Saul. Until he met Jesus. He eventually got saved. He got baptized. His sins were forgiven. He believed the gospel. His eyes were opened. He was blind for about three days. And then his eyes were opened. And, and he constantly spoke of his conversion. And of the conversion of his disciples as going from darkness to light. Because that's what he experienced when he got saved. The fall fell off his eyes. And he could see. He could see Jesus for who he really was. In other words, Paul radically experienced the gospel. But, but he, he didn't only experience the gospel that changed him from Saul to Paul and from being blind to seeing and from being lost to being found. But he experienced the gospel appointing him and, and, and making him go for Jesus. Jesus said, not only... Am I going to save you? But I'm going to show you what I want you to do for me. In other words, he was an appointed an apostle. Now, think about this. The Colossians had never seen Paul face to face. So they might ask, but why should we believe or, or see as authoritative this letter written by this person? We know about him. We know about this Paul. But why should we take seriously what he says? Why? What gives him the authority to write to us in such a way and to command us things that we should obey? And it's because he was an apostle. He was sent by Jesus. An apostle is a sent, dele delegate. Um, it uses one of the, the strongest words for being sent, apostello. And it turns it into a noun. It says, someone who is a special sent delegate, who represents the person who sends them, an ambassador, an emissary, as it were. Um, but he says, I'm a representative, a sent emissary or representative, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, um, often Christians who, who hear the word Jesus Christ often think that Jesus is his name and Christ is his surname, you know, as those parents were Mary and Joseph Christ, um, which, of course, they weren't. 
which of course they weren't. Uh, but, but the way that Paul puts it here in Colossians, he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus makes it more clear that Christ is a title. So who is, who is this Christ Jesus? Um, in, in John 1, verse, verse 41 to 42, we, we see um, he first found, this is Andrew, one of the apostles, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means, or translated in, in Greek, um, is Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. What does that mean? The, the Messiah, the Christ, is the, ex, the expected Savior of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. Um, Israel had kings, um, and most of them were bad kings, but to David was promised that one of his descendants will always sit on the throne, and his, and his kingdom, his throne, will actually last forever. Uh, will be an eternal throne. And it was promised that there will be an anointed king of Israel that will come, that will lead people into freedom, and that will maintain freedom, um, who will do what David did but on steroids. David delivered the, the Israelites from the, from the Philistines and all of those guys who were fighting against them and oppressing them. They were always the least. They were always you know, under someone's foot. But there was a promise that one of David's descendants would come. He would be an anointed king. And he'd be even better than David. The son of David would be greater than David. And he would rule the throne of, from the throne of David forever. Okay? So the word Christ means Messiah or anointed king. Okay? In other words, what, what, what Paul is saying is the gospel is all about relating to Jesus. And the word Jesus means savior. Relating to him as savior. But Allowing him to save you by becoming your anointed king. You know, so, so often we, 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 we as Christians, we, we get so used to saying stuff like Jesus is Lord that it loses its meaning to us. Uh, one of my friends, Andres van der Merwe, he's, he's the chauffeur pastor in, in Hermanus. He likes to ask, you know, what that means, Jesus is Lord or, or Jesus is Christ, he's Messiah, he's, he's, he's your king. It means he's your boss. <laughs> so he likes to ask, is Jesus your boss? In other words, here's the point. Responding to the gospel. The gospel is the good news, because that's what the word gospel means, that you can come under new management. <laughs> that you can get a new boss in your life. A new king who rules over you. Okay? And that's, that's good news. Okay? That's, that's the gospel. And Paul says, I've, I relate to Jesus as Christ, as Messiah. Um, in, in uh, Luke 1, just to give you some more, more background, it's from verse 31 to 35, it says, And behold, you will conceive, the angel speaking to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In other words, this will not be a normal child who will have a normal earthly father. Even though Joseph was his adoptive father, God in heaven was his actual father. He didn't have a biological human father. He was um, the Holy Spirit. And, and that's why he's, 
He's the anointed king because he's, he's, he's literally conceived by the, by the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want you to see it's important for us to see how Paul experienced the gospel, both saving him and sending him as an apostle to understand the rest of what Paul's going to share with us. He's so excited about the gospel for the Colossians because he knows what the gospel did in his life. And he knows what it did in Timothy's life. You know, Timothy's an interesting guy. He, um, let me just actually read to you from, from Acts 16. It says, uh, Paul also came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek who, you know, by implication was not a believer. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy uh, to accompany him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So he was one of Paul, a, a disciple who Paul met in, in, in Derby in those areas. And he said, he saw something in this guy, and he said, I want this young man to come with me. Um, and I want to train him up. And, and at, in the end, um, he actually handed over his apostolic, the apostolic baton to Timothy. And Timothy's the only person in the New Testament who, has a letter, who writes letters. So like this letter, Paul and Timothy, um, Colossians, and six other letters are, uh, you know, Timothy's a co-author of Paul. So he writes letters, but he also has letters written to him, First and Second Timothy. So he's the only person in the New Testament who's like that. So he's quite unique. But, but, he, but Paul says, but he's also experienced the gospel. Because he's not just this random little disciple that I found in Derby. He's Timothy, the brother, our brother. In other words, he's experienced the gospel that made him part of God's family. So he shows more. The gospel is not just relating to Jesus as king, the anointed king over my life, but also now anointing him, uh, uh, relating to him as older brother and to his father as our father. In other words, the gospel doesn't just bring us into a new kingdom. It brings us into a new family. That new kingdom is a new family. And Timothy experienced that. And he gave his life to that as a young man with a lot of potential, clearly very intelligent. I think one of the reasons why Paul um, names him a co-author here of this letter is because he, was, he probably wrote the letter. Paul, You'll see later in the letter, Paul says, remember my chains. So he wasn't only in prison. He was in prison, but he was in chains. He was shackled. He couldn't move around, so he couldn't write. So he, he sat there, he shackled up in prison, sitting on the cold stones, probably colder than we're experiencing now with no eater and not warm clothes, and he recited, he dictated the letter to Timothy, who was the secretary or the amanuensis who wrote it down. So he was clearly very educated and an intelligent young man, and, and he had a lot of potential, and he said, I want to Give my potential, because I understand that Jesus gave himself for me. I want to give myself to Jesus and all my potential to Jesus to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. Can you see how Timothy experienced the gospel? And why he's, he's, he's excited with Paul to encourage the Colossians in the same gospel that he experienced. And then he goes, so he says, Paul, an, an apostle. So he says, not the apostle, an apostle. There are other apostles as well, and you can check with them what I'm saying, because they have the same authority, and they'll confirm what I say. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, the brother. And then he says, to, to the 
Colossian Christians, if I had to summarize it. But, but he says it in a very specific way, and, and, I, and I think this says a lot to us. He, sort of, he, he has two locations. He says these Colossians are in Colossae, and they're in Christ. They have a physical location in Colossae, and they have a spiritual location in Christ. And the, and, and the other stuff is sort of sandwiched in between. And, and here's the point that Paul's making with this. The whole letter to the Colossians is all about how to live out the gospel in every area of life. In other words, how to live out the reality that you are in Christ in Colossae. And the same thing counts for us. This letter is going to help us to learn how to live in Christ in Joburg. How to live out our spiritual location in our physical location. Think about this for a moment. This, this is very powerful when you really start thinking about this. Okay? Which of those two locations will last the longest? Which of those two locations are permanent? None of us know whether we're going to live the rest of our lives in Joburg. God might send us somewhere else. We might move somewhere else. But we know that no matter where we move to physically, our spiritual location, if you have responded to the gospel, your spiritual location will remain the same. You'll always be in Christ. And you can live out your in Christ reality anywhere in the world, whether it's in Joburg or in Colossae or in Pitsonderwater or in Washington, D.C. Anywhere. And, and that is what this letter is about. That's what Paul wants for us. He doesn't just want to remind them of the gospel, but he wants to help them to see how to live out the implications of the gospel, the fact that you are in Christ, wherever you are, in Colossae or in Joburg. And he can write this to people, even though he hasn't been to Colossae and he hasn't planted that church and he hasn't met these Christians face to face, he, he can tell them that the Christian life is all about living out your in Christ reality in your physical location, in Joburg or in Colossae or wherever you are. Just think about it. If you could live everywhere in Joburg out of the reality that you are in Christ, if you can live out your in Christ reality effectively everywhere you are in Joburg, just think what kind of a Christian you'll be. That'll be amazing. And what that... Just, just think about this. He says to the in Colossae, holy and faithful brothers in Christ. Okay? Does being in Colossae make you holy and f a holy and faithful brother? No. Not everyone in Colossae were holy and faithful brothers. Just by the way, the, the word brother there, the plural, um, you know, I, I've said this before, but I, I think it's important to say it. Um, like it was in, in English and, and most languages before, um, in, in Greek, if you had a group of just women, you would use the feminine. If you had a group of just men, you would use the masculine, plural. But if you had a mixed group of men and women, you'd use the masculine, plural. So uh, the proper translation here would be brothers and sisters. So literally, it's, it's, it's Adelphoi, the plural of brothers, but it's, it's brothers and sisters because that's how the Greek language worked. So ladies, you're not excluded in this. You're absolutely not excluded. You, you, you're absolutely included in this. But So if, if being in Colossae doesn't make you a holy and faithful brother or sister, what does? It's being in Christ, of course. That's, that's what makes you holy and faithful brothers and sisters. 
is being in Christ. And what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to the, the word a saint or to be holy? Most people would define holiness in terms of sin, with reference to sin, and say being holy is being separate from sin. And to some extent that's correct, but the reality is that God was holy long before sin existed, long before Adam and Eve invented sin, or long before, I don't know who fell first, probably Lucifer. So long before Lucifer invented <laughs> sin, long before Satan invented sin, God was already holy. So holiness cannot be the absence of, only the absence of sin. It has to be the presence of God. So someone or something is holy when they specially dedicated to God. It's the presence and the dedication to God that makes holy more than the absence of sin. Now, obviously, the presence of God leads to the absence of sin because God destroys all sin, okay? So being holy means being specially dedicated to God and, exp and, and experiencing the presence of God in a special way. And, you know, holiness happens on three levels. Um, you get your positional holiness, your progressive holiness, and your perfected holiness. Okay, this is important. It's a bit of theology, but bear with me because it's, it's really helpful and important. Christians who are in Christ, because you are in Christ and Christ is holy, because you are in Christ, you are positionally holy. No matter how messed up your life is, you can be a drug addict, you can be, you know... You know, the person who, who lies and swears the most. Um, you can, you know, be in all the wrong sexual relationships. But when you get born again and you are in Christ, you are holy in Christ. Even if it takes a while for your speech to change. And you don't stop lying immediately. Okay? We, we all know it takes kind of a lifetime, you know, <laughs> to, <laughs> to change. Even though your sexual habits don't change immediately, you are holy because you are in Christ. And Christ is holy. So there's positional holiness. But then there's progressive holiness. True positional holiness always leads to progressive holiness where slowly but surely but inevitably your behavior catches up with your status in Christ. And you become more and more holy. And that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is becoming what you already are. Becoming as holy in, in actuality and behavior as you are positionally in Christ. So positional holiness, which leads to progressive holiness, which ultimately, when you die or when Christ returns, leads to perfected holiness. When we see Him, we'll be like Him. In a twinkling of an eye, will be changed and become perf perfectly holy like Christ. And what, what Paul is talking about here is he's saying, because you are in Christ, you are holy. And you'll see in, in much of the rest of the letter, he talks about now, because you are in Christ and holy in Christ, become more holy as Christ is holy. Okay. Um, but then he also says, you're, you are faithful. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ. You see, um, the means by which you become as holy in behavior as you are in, position, in your position in Christ is by being faithful. And you might say, but uh, hang on, you know, that, that's a problem for me, Henny, because I know myself, I'm not as faithful as I'd like to be 
if my holiness, my actual holiness, my progressive holiness depends on my faithfulness, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Is there anyone who felt like that? <laughs> you don't have to put up your hand, don't worry. <laughs> we, want, we don't want all the other holy people around you to see that you struggle with holiness. <laughs> but if you are holy because you are in Christ, isn't Paul putting all of those things together to say that you're that you'll also become faithful because you are in Christ. Isn't the one who makes you holy also the one who makes you faithful? Isn't that the very point of the way he's trying to put it up there? It's because you are in Christ. It's not because you're in Colossae that you are holy. It's because you're in Christ. And it's not because you're in Colossae that you are faithful. It's because you're in Christ. In other words, the gospel doesn't only produce our holiness positionally. It also produces progressively the faithfulness that leads us to become holy in actuality. That's good news, at least to me. <laughs> holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, just like Timothy was made a brother, made part of the family. He was not relating to God just as boss, or as master, or as king, but also as father. Family. You see, um, There's a level of intimacy that the gospel brings that nothing else can bring with God. Only the gospel can bring that level of intimacy. And it's a level of intimacy, let's be very frank and honest with ourselves, in a world of broken families and absent fathers, this level of intimacy spoken of here is something that we struggle to relate to, most of us struggle to some extent to relate to this. Because for many of us, even most of us, our experience of family, of being a son, of being a daughter, of having a father or a mother or whatever, was less than perfect. But that which was imperfect is perfect in Christ and in God. We experience the perfect level of it. He's the perfect father. So, I think this is very powerful, and, and it, it, to a very large extent, summarizes. In his greeting, he summarizes his message to the Colossians. He says, you are in Colossae, but you are in Christ. And that means that you must live as holy and faithful brothers in Christ, in Colossae. That is the implications of the gospel. And then in, in, in the last portion, he, he says, grace to you and peace to God the Father. Um, I skipped a few things, but I'm, I'm going to leave that now. Um, grace and peace. We, when you think of, of, the, of the word grace, you think of the New Testament. If you think of the word peace, shalom, you think of the Old Testament. Jews would traditionally greet one another, shalom. It, it, it means more than just peace. It's, it's difficult to translate because it's such a rich word. It means peace, but it also means prosperity. It says, may peace and prosperity be with you when you say shalom. May peace and prosperity be with you. May, may it go well with you in every conceivable sense of the word. And those are both aspects of the gospel. Grace is God's unmerited favor. If you just go down a few slides to, um, to slide number 21. Um, grace is what causes all the good things of the gospel. So it's the cause, and peace is the effect. 
it's all the benefits of the gospel. So, so he's in a, in a sense saying, may all the causes and all the effects, all the good causes and all the good effects of the gospel be with you. Be yours from God the Father. You know, it's God the Father loves you so much. And as a father, he's so wise and he knows what's best for you and he wants what's best for you. He wants grace that causes you to have right relationship with him and that causes you to want to do all the right things. And then he wants peace. He wants that to result in peace. All the good things, all the, 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 the peace, the prosperity, the wellness that he has for you. He goes on later and he says, you know, one of the ways he summarized the gospel is, is you know, the gospel is bearing fruit in your life uh, since you truly understood the grace of God. That, that the grace of God is, is one of the ways Paul summarizes the gospel. So, so Paul is right here at the beginning saying, may you receive more and more of God's grace. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to get, and I'm going to close with this. We as Christians think we know and understand the gospel, Right? You know, some of you might even have sort of clocked out a bit and said, Ach, any the gospel, that's, that's the milk, you know. I want the meat, you know. <laughs> any, we've heard of the gospel so many times. We, 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 we know the gospel. Don't talk to us about the gospel. But notice that Paul is talking to Colossians who are already in Christ, who are holy and faithful brothers in Christ. What, what does that mean? They've already experienced the gospel. And what does he say to them? may you experience more of the grace and peace, the, the causes and effects of the gospel. In other words, the gospel is something you never graduate from. If you go to a fish, and you could get to find a fish that could speak, and you ask them, what do you think about water? They'd say to you, huh? What is water? Even though they swim in water, they cannot survive without water. Water, because it's all around them and they're in it, it's so fundamental to their existence, they're not even aware of it. Now, now that's how the gospel is to us, and that's how the Holy Spirit is to us. So fundamental to our spiritual existence that we, like fish in water, almost, it's so prevalent everywhere in us and around us that we can almost miss it. And that's how the gospel is. That's how the Holy Spirit is. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, what you're already experiencing, like fish is experiencing water, I want to tell you about the water. I want to tell you about the gospel. And we as Christians in Joburg would do well to listen, just like the Christians in Colossae did well to listen to Paul. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.